Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered, Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa Curry-Lowitz, and I'm here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Elisa Unfiltered Podcast. My name is Elisa and today it is Wednesday, January the 19th, 2022. How are you today? Big question. Let's check in. I want to take a deep breath together. I want you to start to pay attention to your breath in a more present way. Notice your five senses, what's happening around you. Now, Whatever you were doing before you pressed play on this podcast, let's leave it there and come into your body right now. What do you see, feel, smell, hear? How does your body feel sitting or standing, driving? Notice your connection to the ground, your weight, how your body is supporting you in this moment. Now from this place, if it feels safe to do so, I mean, if you're driving, hello, please keep your eyes open. If it feels safe, please close down your eyes and let's take a deep breath in together and sigh it out through the mouth, okay? Here we go. (sighs) What you're feeling right now is the present moment. You are consciously choosing to come into this moment and be present. This is a wonderful feeling because you know you're safe, you're in control, and even the simplicity of taking a breath feels so good, doesn't it? Mm. So today's show is profound (laughs) and it brings me great joy that we are able to come into our bodies a little bit uh, before we get started in this because I believe that perhaps it will help you to absorb or help this message land in a place that is needed. As this message, this interview really comes at a time when the world is still feeling very heavy. We are questioning so many things. We're questioning our every move, decision. We're looking at our reactions and responses. And we're exposed to more fear from the media, literally. The first four to six stories. It used to be the first story, like the top story, but now it's the first, you know, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth story on every news channel is about fear. And then there's sports, which is somehow also thrilled with fear and blame and shame. And we're exposed to more fear than than our central nervous systems were meant to handle for this length of time. And this is disabling us from rational thought. We are not thinking rationally, right? We must come back to the present moment and consciously feel our feelings with a conscious effort to release them. Yes, this is possible. You do not have to live in fear, worry, and guilt. And if you are, Living that way in this current climate, this is your wake-up call to observe the habits and rituals 
you are exposing yourself to that are keeping you in this loop. You have been conditioned to feel this way. And as a result, you your fear is becoming who you think you are. However, you can release these difficult emotions you are carrying. That is ultimately affecting everything in your life. And that's why my guest today, Dr. Gay Hendricks, his words of wisdom, peace, and awareness, like they are just coming at such a pivotal time. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Hendricks. He's a psychologist, a writer, and a teacher in the field of personal growth, relationships, and body intelligence. What an incredible concept, body intelligence. He's best known for his work in relationship enhancements and in the development of conscious breathing exercises. After receiving his PhD in psychology from Stanford University, Dr. Hendricks began teaching at the University of Colorado where he spent 21 years. He also developed and founded the Hendricks Institute. He conducts workshops with his wife of nearly 40 years, Dr. Kathy Hendricks. Together, they have authored over 35 books, and my recommendations are in the show notes if you are interested in reading any of them. They're fantastic. His life's work caught the attention of the legendary Oprah Winfrey, and he has appeared on her show and in her book club. Wow. Dr. Hendricks is an incredible storyteller, as you will soon find out. We, we actually recorded this interview before the holidays, and it wasn't until I re-listened to his stories. I mean, I thought it was a fantastic interview at the time, but when I re-listened, his choice of words, because words matter, and his message, just it, it really landed and connected, penetrated, if you will, at, a, at the soul level. It was very deep and connecting. So this might be one of those episodes that you download and you save because it's simple and profound and worthy of a second listen. All right. Are you ready? I'm rubbing my hands together because this is juicy and so, so great. Let's get into it. Here we go. Dr. Gay Hendricks. All right, how are you doing today, Dr. Gay Hendricks? I'm doing magnificently well, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, I'm starstruck a little bit. This is such a cool opportunity for us to chat. Um, you've been in my circle here for almost a year, I wanna say, um, that I've really passionately been following your work and it's partly due to the transition and the um, awakenings, if you want to call them that, that I've personally had my personal growth, my capacity to understand the, the things that you're telling at a different level, the, the teachings that you offer at a different level have really resonated so deeply. So I am absolutely thrilled that you're here for me to pick your brain. (laughs) Go right ahead. Pick away. Okay. Fantastic. Well, you know, in, in an effort to, to really nail down a first question here, because the first question really leads to, could go down many paths. I, I feel as though the way the world is right now, clients that work with myself, people that um, are in my circle of friends, there's been this overwhelming struggle. People feel stuck. People feel... Um, um, limited in in some way, shape, or form, and you speak a lot about relationships, a lot about relationships to others, and your relationship to yourself. 
So I really, and what really sticks with me is your teachings on the upper limit, your upper limit mentality. I would love for you to just start the show off with speaking to that. Well, that was one of the first most important things I ever discovered in working on myself as as well as my clients. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw my first client in 1968 and uh, my latest one this morning. And so I've been doing this for, what's that, about 52 or 53 years now. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things I saw in myself first was this thing I call the upper limit problem. And I just started calling it that because I would get to what I later figured would be my upper limit of feeling good or my upper limit to how well things could be flowing intimacy-wise in the relationships I was in. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that I could tolerate very little good feeling without messing it up in some way. And I first noticed this because I, I used to weigh 100 pounds more than I weigh now. Wow. I weigh about 180 pounds now, and I'm about six feet tall, so I look athletic now. But yes. 50 years ago, I'd grown up with childhood obesity. And so by the time I was through college and into my early 20s, I weighed 300 pounds. You have got to be kidding me. Okay. Yeah. And uh, people don't believe it, you know, when they see a picture Mm -hmm. of me back then. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, first of all, I'm very (laughs) grateful to that. I had a big enlightenment experience when I was 24 years old. And I lost a hundred pounds in the year after that experience. And so I had this experience. I might as well tell. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. We need to know. We need to know. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, it all started actually before I was born because my mother went through a huge stress during her pregnancy with me. My father age 32 at the time dropped dead one day of unknown oh circumstances. My oh my and God, I'm sorry to hear that. Later on, it looked like he had some kidney problem where it kind of poisoned him or something. But anyway, oh my gosh. My mother went into a big decline. And actually, while she was pregnant, she went from 120 pounds down to 89 pounds by the time I was born. And so, you know, it was like she was trying to starve herself to death in her depression, but uh, it reset some kind of glandular thing in me. So from the time I came out, even though my brother and everybody else in my family was skinny and my mother was obviously, um, I just put on weight pretty much from the first month I was here. And so by the end of my Mm. first year, I looked like one of those babies that you sometimes see in the tabloids, you know, that have rolls of Mm -hmm. fat off of them. But anyway, nobody could figure out what the problem was until later when they figured out this glandular glandular thing, but there was no real treatment for it at the time. Now there are some treatments for it, but, Mm. um, you know, this is 70 years ago. So um, anyway, uh, there I was, 24 years old, I was 100 pounds overweight, and I was in a crummy job, and I was in a terribly toxic relationship that I'd gotten into, and I was trying to get out of, but I literally did not have enough money to afford another apartment or anything like that. And Mm -hmm. um, so basically, I was really stuck. Oh, plus I smoked two or three packs of Marlboros a day at the time, so I was basically killing myself that way too. And so I went out for a walk one day and it was dead of winter in New Hampshire 
and I was living on the campus of a little boarding school for delinquent boys where I was the dorm master and one of the teachers there, which was sort of like I say, teacher slash wrangler, because it was like <laughs> riding herd on 100 delinquents all the time. Mm-hmm. And so a uh, very stressful job, and it was basically a 24-hour-a-day job. Oh. So mm-hmm. everything was off track in my life, basically. And so I went out for a walk to clear my head after a big argument I'd had Uh, with Linda, and I stepped on a place where the snow had covered some ice on the road, and my feet shot out from under me, and I went down with a 300-pound whoomp on this frozen road, and I hit the back of my head, but I didn't knock myself out, but what happened is kind of I knocked myself out of myself in a way, the old self that I thought I was, and for about two minutes, I had this enlightenment experience where it was as if I could see down through all the layers of myself that I put up around me for defense. You know, that the I could see how the 300 pounds of fat or whatever it was, mm-hmm. 100 pounds of fat, was there to distract me from feeling my feelings mm. that was underneath there, like my grief and my anger and my fear. I just hadn't felt any of that because I buried it under when I get in a feeling state, I just overeat. Oh my like a lot of people. They, I have goosebumps right now. Like, un- okay, wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what happened in that two minutes, the real magic though, was I saw down through all the layers of my feelings that I had never felt before. I felt my grief about my father's death uh, and my anger about growing up without a father and you know, everybody else in the neighborhood had one in those days. Divorce wasn't common. Uh, back in the 40s and 50s and so everybody else on my my block had a father and I kind of felt out of that out of it because of that so um, I got down through all of those layers of feeling and then there was this place I came to where if I let myself feel all of my feelings and just open to them a space I call pure consciousness opened up Mm. and I could feel this kind of like the ocean or the sky that was in the background of everything. And I called it pure consciousness. And I know probably other people in other systems have different words for it, but uh, it just seemed like to me, pure consciousness with no writing on it or no programming on it, that it's something you get by being a human being. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or tall or short or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It is in everybody. Mm -hmm. And I realized the way to get to it is you have to be willing to let yourself feel whatever you feel and let yourself know whatever the truth is in you instead of covering up the truth all the time. And so, wow. you know, some people probably meditate to have that uh, awareness. Some people <laughs> take drugs for it, but I had it by <laughs> crashing down on a snowy road in New Hampshire. And uh, I call it an out of Hendrix experience. Now, you remember the Jimmy <laughs> Hendrix experience? Well, I had an out of Hendrix experience. And so, but what happened was that I started coming back into the old self. I realized, oh, I still weigh 300 pounds. Oh, God. Oh, I, I already want a cigarette. Yep. Oh, God, yep. I've got to go back to that little tiny apartment with somebody I wouldn't even want to have lunch with, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a relationship like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Where you end up, yeah. Oh, yeah, been there. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
Well, almost all of us have, unfortunately. <laughs> but I guess the trick is to learn from it. So uh, I had to be single for about seven years after that relationship was over, though, before I trusted myself to ever get into another relationship. So I was <sighs> single for a long time. Okay, that. I have to stop you right there because there's a lot of parallels between your aha moment, as Oprah would say, awakening, coming into consciousness, pure consciousness. I love that definition. And then the realization of like self-growth, healing, and then a period of time. It took me three years. I was single for three years between my my ex-husband and my current um, relationship. So it's, it's a very interesting. I love this comparison different like the the path wasn't as direct it winded a little bit but i'm really curious to know what you did next after you came back into your body and then got up off the ground and probably rubbed your head a bit and was like okay yeah then what well i had a i had a long walk back to my apartment okay and so i had a lot of time to kind of let things gel in my process mm-hmm. but here's the thing that happened before i got up off the ground i think what really caused the magic was i was feeling that pure consciousness state for you know like probably 30 or 40 seconds and it was like taking a bath for the first time after mm. not taking a bath for a year or something it was like a feeling of freedom just discovering that part of myself and as the, as the old stuff was getting a grip on me again, I made this declaration up in my head. I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes in life to feel that all the time. That was my, and that I think made such a difference because it was a commitment to do something active, not mm. just have the awareness, but to do something with it. And so love it. I started using that basically to run my life. Like the first thing I did was I started anything I wanted to eat. I would ask myself, okay, is this going to feed my old 300-pound body or is this going to uh, feed my new light body? Light in the sense of visual light, but also light. Of course, yes. Figurative, literally. As Mm -hmm. as a process of of getting that light into my body and getting everything else out of the way so I could feel and see that light all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I started uh, just eating, like even, I remember the first day, all I could find to eat were some blueberries that were in the freezer, frozen blueberries. <laughs> and um, so I, um, I would eat them one blueberry at a time. Mm-hmm. And then after, like I remember eating the first three blueberries. I said, oh, that's interesting. I don't want any more food now. I'm full. Mm-hmm. And so I kept doing that. And I'm not saying it was always successful. Like after I'd lost about 35 pounds, I lost 35 pounds the first month by doing that kind of, is this feeding my spirit or is this feeding yeah, my old 300 pounds? Like a conscious, a conscious choice. You're consciously eating, intuitively eating, but like it wasn't called that back then, I'm sure. It was like you're unraveling all of these choices that you now have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this was at a time this was at a time where there were no self-help books none had been written sure and yeah not really many diet books or anything like that and so it was new territory really but here listen to this this is such okay. an amazing magical event okay see I say now if you get aligned with yourself you automatically align yourself with the universe so that more positive things just start 
falling in your lap out yes. of nowhere. Yes, love and, that. And um, one of my favorite quotations that I use in my uh, body therapy book, At the Speed of Life, is from, uh, believe it or not, Franz Kafka, who wrote all those crazy novels. But he said at this one point, he said, you don't have to do anything. You just have to be very still and ordinary. He said, the mm. universe will come to you. It will roll at your feet. It has no choice. And so that act of getting lined up inside yourself by acknowledging your feelings and feeling that pure consciousness and simply knowing who you are, that's such a magical, powerful place to be that it just attracts good stuff to you. And so what happened for me was a day or so after I had this experience, remember I'd made a vow that I wanted to feel that pure consciousness yep. at every moment. And I, I was actually on the phone two days later with a friend of mine who had been a teacher at the school and he was a Harvard graduate um, and down the road from New Hampshire in Cambridge. And he told me on the phone that one of his favorite professors was going to be giving a talk up near my house at Webster Lake, New Hampshire, and uh, at a big estate over on the lake. And would I like to come with him? And I said, what's he going to be talking about? And my friend was very excited. Neil Marinello was my friend. And he said, um, well, my favorite professor at Harvard uh, was a professor named Richard Alpert. But he's just gone to India and had some kind of enlightenment experience and is now calling himself Ramdas. And would you like to go to the lecture because he's going to be talking at his father's estate over on the Webster Lake? I said, sure. So we went in the door. I'd never heard of Ramdas. I'd never heard of Richard Albert. Mm -hmm. You know, I, mm -hmm. I'd never really done any yoga or anything like that. I'd heard of it, but I hadn't any, done anything. And so we walk in the grounds of this big, beautiful estate. And there's Ramdas, got his flowing robes on. And, you know, he was a young man at the time. Uh, he recently passed away a few years ago, but uh, in his mm -hmm. 80s. But at mm -hmm. the time, you know, he was, um, you know, energetic looking 40 year old, probably. And he had all these disciples around him. It was like maybe 10 or 15 all young men and women, all dressed in flowing yoga attire, you know, with <laughs> beads on and all that kind of stuff. And, I'm partly thinking, what is this insanity here? You know, totally. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. but Ramdas gave this amazing talk for three hours without any notes, just about life, and I mean, it was stunning. Um, and he was a spellbinding. So you were captivated the entire time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I went up afterwards, and I was so captivated. I said, "Where do you get all this stuff? You didn't consult any notes, because for me, even teaching." juvenile delinquent junior high school students, I came in with my sure, pad yeah. of notes every day, you know, my <laughs> lesson plan, and everything, which was probably 99% wasted, but I knew I had one. <laughs> and so um, I um, asked him, where is he getting this? And he said, you know, if you, if you just kind of get lined up right and with, with the way things are, it just comes out. You don't have to really think about it. Mm. I'm thinking, I've never heard anything like that in my life, you know, but I knew he took LSD and all that. So I thought maybe you got um, to do that. But anyway, I asked him, you know, would you just take a look at me? I said, I just had this experience and I want to further that experience. And would you give me some advice? And this 
changed my life. He said, well, you might do some therapy about it, but he said in India, you'd probably do some yoga and breathing exercises, and you'd certainly learn to meditate. And I said, where would I learn about that? You know, because I was avid. Yeah. And he, he did this thing. He said, he kind of made a dismissive flick of the hand. He said, oh, it'll come to you. Kind of like that. Oh, something will come to you. That's right. Something will come to you. And hmm. next day I'm in the supermarket checking out. And I look to my left and there's a little kiosk of paperback books. And one of them says Yoga, Youth and Reincarnation by Jess Stern. And I picked it up and I looked at the table of contents and guess what it was? It was an entire book full of yoga postures, meditation techniques, um, even did chanting, although I didn't get into that. And are we talking like in the 80s right now? Are we like in the 1980s? Like We're talking in 1969. Nine, okay. Okay. So well before the, your birth. Sure. <laughs> Decades. Yeah. Decades before I, you appeared here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, so you see this book got, and you put, I, pick I, it up. I looked at the table of contents. Mm-hmm. This was it. This was the textbook I used. And so I just went home and started doing it. And about midnight, I got to the meditation chapter. I'd done all the yoga postures, done all the other stuff, breathing. And I get to the meditation chapter and it, I just started doing this simple meditation, like saying, om, mm-hmm. om in my mind. And within about two minutes, there was that pure consciousness feeling again without even having to bang my head on the ground. So that was really the started it all for me. And then over the next year, I lost a hundred pounds and didn't have to wear glasses anymore and learned how to meditate formally. And so I've been uh, doing all those things ever since. And that was just really like, ultimately what I'm re- what I'm pulling from the story, which is fantastic, by the way, I, this journey is incredible, was that you kept looking in a new direction. You had this experience, and instead of saying, oh, it was just an experience, or oh, I I messed up, or oh, he's on LSD, oh, making excuses, you actually explored and questioned at a time where that wasn't really normal to do. So it must have been a little bit scary in a sense, but... It seems to me that the calling was so strong for you that it kind of just like catapulted you into a new direction. Does that sound about right? Yes. And this gets back to our early discussion of the upper limit problem. Yes. That's where I want to go back. What does that mean? after, After I started this process, that's where I really got to figure out the upper limit problem. Because a month after I started the new process of eating to feed my pure consciousness, I was down, I'd lost 35 pounds and I was down in Cambridge, Massachusetts, about an hour away Mm -hmm. um, on a weekend. And I was walking up the street and I passed a Brigham's ice cream store. And in uh, Cambridge, Brigham's is like the upscale ice cream, you know, far above Baskin and Robbins or anything like that. Okay, cool. Got it. It's kind of like the uh, Haagen-Dazs of the time, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, I looked in there and there was a little family of four people eating this huge banana split. It uh, had, you know, three different kinds of ice cream and caramel and chocolate and all that kind of stuff. Yum. And I just went into a trance, you know, and I went into the store and I said, I want one of those. And the clerk said, uh, is the rest of your party coming? You know, and I said, no, it's just for me. And uh, 
So I sat down with that banana split and I just woofed it. Oh my God. 20 minutes. I was for 20 minutes. I was high as a kite, you know, all oh that my sugar God. that I hadn't had for a solid month. Yeah. And I was walking down the street, but then 20 minutes later, I was doubled over on the ground. I had the biggest stomach ache and I was, I was just mm-hmm. so sick. And it actually took me about three days to get that sick feeling out of my body. You know, it's kind of like feeling great for a month. And then I hit a fear. Oh my God, I can't feel this good all the time. So I went out and I sabotaged myself. Yep. Okay. This is great. So you were making good choices. You were listening to your body. You were following your alignment. You hit a fear and wolfed down a banana split. Then what happened? You did you barf? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, you barfed. Three, three days of feeling miserable taught me oh. a lesson, you know. Oh. And so I find another thing that happens. Sometimes your friends don't turn out to be friends. They're only friends because they shared an addiction with you. Like there was mm. this one friend of mine, Ken. He's now deceased, Ken Bhutan, who I worked with. And he and I used to go out to eat together, and he was very obese also. Well, he was down in Florida, and I was up in New Hampshire at this new job, and he came to visit. And he saw that I'd lost like 50 or 60 pounds that he hadn't known about that I'd lost. And he said, wow, you know, what have you been doing? And I explained what I'd been doing. His response He was a so-called practical joker. That was kind of his reputation. He went into town and bought a five-pound box of chocolate-covered caramels, which is my all-time sin candy. You know, it's like my heroin (laughs) and cocaine all wrapped up into one, you know? Yeah. Uh, And uh, I haven't had one now in many years, but I can remember. He brought this five-pound box with the intent to sabotage my diet. I mean, that was... Yep. And I actually ended up kicking him out of the house because he also um, had a bunch of uh, hash with him, too. And I knew if I smoked hash and started eating caramels, I'd probably never stop. Yeah, so totally. I actually asked him to go be somewhere else, and I, I didn't offer him a night to sleep in a bed in my property. So um, I, uh, I know that our unconscious has big power to it and one of the big powers it has is to glom onto negative beliefs and it's those negative beliefs that come out of fear that cause the upper limit problem like many people good-hearted well-meaning wonderfully talented people in our field you know that's in the Mm -hmm. field of helping and coaching and Mm -hmm. seminars and all that a lot of us have what i call a fear of outshining other people good-hearted people often have that fear of outshining they want other people to be the star you know and and it comes from early on in life but i want to counsel you that go ahead be the star of your own life it's not going to take away from anybody else's love or light the more you open up and shine your light the more it reflects on other people and then it wakes them up to shine their light so i've never seen a situation where one person waking up caused any kind of negative action that's stealing love from anybody else. It usually inspires other people. But that's not just the only fear. Uh, I'd say the most common fear 
is that people carry around is an old fear that I'm fundamentally flawed in right. some way. I've done something I'm ashamed of and can't ever get over, or I'm, I was born under a bad sign, or I had a crappy childhood, or all of those kind of things are the building blocks of the upper limit problem. So you, you get to a certain level, and I've seen it many times in my own life. You know, there was a, a person who was getting on Oprah and talking about their books at roughly the same time as Katie and I were getting on Oprah and talking about our books back in the uh, 90s. But I watched this other person respond to that increased fame by doing more addictive substances because they could afford more addictive substances and, mm-hmm. you know, buying a higher quality of cocaine instead of saying, why am I even taking cocaine in the first place? You know, those kinds of things can take you right down. And, and I've seen that happen more than once also. And that would because be, I work with a lot of Hollywood folks. I live near uh, LA now and I, I get to see some very ugly examples of people making gigantic bundles of money at one time and then not having the self-esteem structure to hold that and blowing off, uh, you know, sometimes gigantic fortunes. And that would be like their upper limit. So just so I can understand this a little bit, like once you're, you know, making a shift in your life, for example, or a mental shift or a physical shift, whatever it is, once you hit your own ceiling or your own capacity to grow any further or understanding of growth or whatever it is, you go back into that automation comfort zone like you fall back into whatever state you were in so it's the self-sabotage comes in yes mm -hmm. you you do something that brings up more energy in yourself you try something new or you uh, have a relationship breakthrough and go to a higher level of intimacy with someone yes then what happens is that triggers all fears oh am I a good enough person to handle this or, right. you know, uh, am I willing to shine my light this big? Right. So those kind of things, it awakens fears in us. And then the upper limit problem happens. You hurt yourself or you get sick or you fall down and break your leg on the morning of you're going to go on your big speaking tour. And these are all ex- real examples I've right. seen um, people do. It's amazing. And then you probably blame the world a little bit and and go back into your unconscious thinking patterns and beliefs and that just spiral of old self until until when? Like so so let me ask you this. I I really like this comparison of upper limit mentality or upper limit thinking. And I want you to sort of describe the relationship between yourself and this mentality like what's the journey that one must commit to if, if that's the word to push that upper limit a little higher great question and the answer to it is you need to do something that increases the amount of time that you feel good inside or okay. increases the amount of time that you feel close in a relationship and that usually means starting doing some things and stopping doing some things. Um, basically, you need to stop interrupting yourself in the middle of feeling good. 
And that's a tricky thing to do because what you have to do is allow yourself to feel good for longer and longer periods of time before you eat that thing that makes you not feel good or light up that thing that makes you not feel good or, uh, you know, eat that thing that makes you feel good for five minutes, but then makes you feel miserable for right. the rest of the day. And paying and attention so, to that. Yeah. 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 And so to consciously make a commitment you know, many people have read my book, The Big Leap. You probably have too. And what I suggest in there is to make commitments, first of all. The way to get any process of personal change started is to make a sincere, heartfelt commitment. I always tell my students that the longest journey they'll ever make in their lives is 12 inches from their head down to their heart. <laughs> to get from, I'm committed up here, to I'm committed down here to I've got my mind and my heart working together and that's where the power is in life and there has to be sorry there has to be some sort of like so commitment a vow whatever you want to make to yourself or to this journey there it, it it also is a process right like I find that so many people within my world will commit to something mess up and then because they made one mistake or one small bump in the road, they like abandoned cart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I know one of my clients said that uh, she'd lost 65 pounds and um, I, I um, suggested a certain um, weight loss program for her and yeah. she'd lost uh, 65 pounds doing it. And then one day she had a piece of gum, a stick of chewing gum. And then her mind went into motion because she hadn't had one during the whole weight loss period. It mm-hmm. used to be an addiction of her. And so she said, okay, I'll just have one, you know. Next thing she'd do, she'd eaten an entire box of um, those Girl Scout cookies that... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we get those too. Mint, yeah, yeah. Mint cookies, yeah. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she went from... 10 calories of chewing gum yeah. into 600 calories of a box of cookies. Yeah. You know, that's how the unconscious mind works. And so what has that, but here's the thing, Elisa, by the way, you're the second Elisa I know on this planet. And the oh. other one is also a remarkable individual. Oh. Uh, Elisa Rose, look up her music sometimes. She's a beautiful human. I being. will. Thank you for that. Seminars and has albums out and things like that. Um, but I like to think of personal growth and a commitment as working like the automatic pilot on an airplane. Katie okay. and I just uh, spent our 40th wedding anniversary out in Maui. Oh, and, fantastic. Uh, we Congrats. just flew back Friday night. And when you fly from Hawaii to LA, it doesn't get there with unerring accuracy. What it does is the automatic pilot is trained to catch the drift. So the plane says, okay, we're drifting a little to the left, correct to the right. And then it does that. And so, okay, we're drifting a little to the right. Let's correct to the left. So it literally makes those corrections dozens, if not hundreds of times a minute. And the meaning of that to us folks is you get to your destination by being wrong most of the time. If you're willing to recommit. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So you yeah. get to your destination by being wrong most of the time. Yeah, if you're willing to recommit. If you're willing to recommit and make those corrections. That is I fantastic. Had make, I had to make hundreds 
of recommitments during that year I lost 100 pounds. You know, because every time I get to maybe, or I remember I'd lost 75 pounds and somebody gave me a big compliment. And I guess I wasn't prepared to handle that, you know, because okay. I immediately went into a donut binge. Uh, the, yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. the uh, boarding school I taught at for delinquent boys on Friday, you got free donuts uh, in the mm. faculty room. That was the big reward for those uh, uh, hundreds of extra hours. But uh, I binged on the donuts all day long and, uh, you know, gained five pounds on the, overnight, I think. But that kind of thing kept happening. But you just have to keep recommitting. That's the thing. That's how you get from, uh, that's how you get to Maui. <laughs> okay. So on the subject of relationship to self, because that is a, a fantastic um piece of advice if anyone can take anything away like that that is humongous uh, I want to speak a little bit about the upper limit versus hiding and shrinking and how um I think you said the fear of outshining people that's something that comes up often uh within my circle within the Elisa unfiltered community is is not wanting to step on to like, I call it the front burner, a front burner thinker and being afraid. So they're always kind of in the background, blending in, hiding and shrinking their light, never, never pursuing their passions for the fear of outshining, as well as um, just not thinking and believing and behaving in the way that a front burner thinker would. So they, they, they shy up and they get scared and come back instead of stepping into their, their passion, if you will. So can you speak to that? Yes. And uh, let me say also, it can happen at all levels of the game, you know, oh, in okay. the beginning or uh, what was coming to mind was um, a uh, person that I had worked with called me in a panic attack one day some years ago and I kind of talked him down from the panic attack and as I found out what the panic attack was the next day he was going down to get his palm prints in the Hollywood Walk of Fame you know and we talked about hmm what is a what is it about that that's so scary to trigger a panic attack in you you know you've been on stage half your life and sung in front of 500,000 people and a billion people on the Oscars and things like that. Why now? And here was the reason. He said, it's permanent. I'm going to be sitting there. I mean, for all eternity, my palm prints are going to be on the same block as John Wayne or yeah. Frank Sinatra, who are, you know, and named off all these people that he admired. And, and I said, well, what's so bad about that? And he said, well, they don't know what an imposter I am. Mm. Mm. You know, and <laughs> they don't know who I really am. If they knew how fundamentally flawed I really am, they wouldn't be giving me any prizes, believe me. You know, so it doesn't matter if you're world famous or just starting out. We've all got to turn our attention to finding out what are those things we're afraid of in there and opening up and making friends with mm. our fear. Because like we say around here, fear is excitement without the breath. If you hold your breath when you get scared, 
you get more scared. But if you can ah, participate with it, you know, dance with it, feel with it, uh, you get yourself open up to it. You get on the same track. You know, you get that sense of alignment with yourself and the universe that comes through being willing to accept yourself as you are, being able to love yourself as you are. Those are key components of our work because they help people bring inside those things they've tried to push outside. You know, the moment you, ah, it's like Walt Whitman, our great poet says, I am large and contain multitudes. That is as soon as we accept the multitudes of ourself, the fullness, the wholeness of ourself, even the unlovable parts of ourself, suddenly we're free. Beautiful. Well, you have written over 40 books and taught thousands of coaches and spoken to and consulted with and and worked with thousands of 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 non-coaches <laughs> other individuals you were on Oprah you do speaking you have amazing courses so for anyone that is listening right now that wants to explore this a little bit further I will have all the links to the show notes I do have one more question for you in a very Oprah manner um she always finishes her podcast with a few questions I have two they're really quick the first one is what do you know to be true I start with the microscopic truth inside myself. Like right now, I feel hunger pangs as soon as I finish here. Um, my wife tells me lunch will be served at noon because she has something right afterwards. <laughs> so we're going to eat promptly at noon, which I believe it already is. Now yeah. That I think yeah, yeah, we got to go. Uh, but uh, uh, so I feel hungry right now. Um, that's true. Uh, I say the truth is whatever cannot be argued with. If I say, mm. Elisa, I feel some hunger pangs in my stomach. You probably don't feel the slightest urge to argue with that and say, no, you don't. No, I you don't. Know, because it's a clear statement of something that's unarguable. And right. so the truth is that which cannot be argued about. I love it. Um, if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? I'd say... That he lived all the way to the edge and loved life as much as he could from wherever he was. It was so beautiful. That touched, like I have goosebumps again. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story. I could talk to you for hours. I mean, wow, what a storyteller you are in just such a profound way that connects and lands. And I know that everyone listening to the end here they want they want at least three more episodes with you. So, <laughs> well, what, what, how about we? I come back and do a part two because let's do it. I got to tell you the, the the story about what happened in Colorado in 1974 because it was as big a formative event as the one in 1969. So I got to tell that story too. Okay, well, the we'll have all our work. We'll have to we'll have to check in for sure. Thank you so much for your time and your light and your wisdom. Thank you. Blessings to you. Do you want to win a $100 gift card to Lululemon? Every single week from now until the end of January, I'm giving away a $100 gift card to a lucky listener of the show. All you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a written review and a five-star rating. Leave one today and you're entered for the rest of the month. Reviews help people find and support the show. So head over to Apple Podcasts now. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time.